With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast. Friday, the twenty first of April. Hope you all have nice plans for the weekend. Uh, if I can just draw your attention to something before it slips my mind, my buddy Ollie Emerson is running the London Marathon this weekend. Uh, so if you go to his Twitter, you will see uh, he has a Just Giving page set up. And if you can spare anything at all, it would be huge because it's for a really good, a really good cause. And look, he, the fact that he's put in all this effort and done all this training is incredibly impressive. His Twitter is at Oliver underscore Emerson with two M's and the charity that he is running for is young lives versus cancer so um i think it's amazing that he's doing this so if you could even just go to his twitter and retweet and share that's great to get the message out but if you can spare a few quid there is that just giving link there as well right folks uh europa league europa conference league last night so let's start there let's leave the main event for a second uh, Roma 4, Feyenoord 1. Roma went 1-0 up through Spinazzola. Remember, Feyenoord came into the game 1-up from the first leg. So Roma go 1-up and tie it on 60 through Spinazzola. Pixau equalises on 80, and it looks like Feyenoord are going through. But Dybala scores on 89 to give Roma a 2-1 win on the night. 2-2 in aggregate. Into extra time we go. Stephen El Shuari scores. And then Lorenzo Pellegrini wraps it up. Roma are through. Santiago Jimenez sent off in the last minute as Feyenoord kind of lost the run of themselves a little bit. And I think the frustration just set in. Um, really, really enjoyable game. Roma through. Jose Mourinho looking for his third Europa League, which is a fair effort for any manager. We know that, obviously, Unai Emery has done it. He's got four of them. But Mourinho looking for three. Um, He's also obviously got a Conference League from last year, and he's won two European Cups. So it would be his sixth major European trophy, which would be very, very impressive. Um, They will face you... No, they will face Leverkusen. They will face Leverkusen in the semi-final. Leverkusen went to Union St. Gilles last night. Won all in the first leg. Leverkusen wiped the floor with them yesterday. Moussa Diaby on two minutes. Mitchell Backer on 37. And Jeremy Frimpong on 60. Terho did pull one back for St. Gilles. But Adam Hlozik on 79. Giving Leverkusen a comprehensive and impressive win. Xabi Alonso in his first season, and it's not even been a, f- a full season, obviously, taking his side to the semi-finals of a major European competition. There's a reason a lot of people are talking him up as potentially the next great young coach. The signs are promising from what we've seen at Leverkusen. Now, what I will just say to temper expectations a little bit is that he took over an immensely talented squad. This was was a squad that 
with a couple of additions, I think could have challenged this season for the league. They had the injury to Verts, did a couple of other injuries, and things went badly under Gerardo Sione to start the season. But remember, they were in the Champions League from last season. They finished fourth in the Bundesliga. They were in the Champions League this year. So it was a really good squad. But what Alonso's doing and the football he has them playing is very, very impressive. Big test for him now against against Jose. Not sure I'd back Alonso in this one. I think Jose up against the rookie coach is, is the kind of thing Jose will like. I think that's a really interesting tie, though. Sporting won, Juventus won. Juve went into the tie one up. Rabio scores on nine minutes. Marcus Edwards pulls one back on 20. Sporting dominated the game, couldn't find that second goal. So Juventus are through to the semi-finals. A big day for Juventus yesterday because their 15-point penalty for illicit transfer activity has been reversed. Now, it is set to be sent to a higher court. It is set to be reviewed and re-examined again. There's a possibility Juventus will get an even bigger punishment because they've pushed so hard against this one. So we'll wait and see. The appeals of Fabio Paratici against his 30-month ban were rejected. He has now resigned as managing director of Spurs. The appeals by Andrea Agnali and uh, Maurizio Arifbeni, they were held, uh, they were withheld, they were upheld, as was the appeal of Federico Cherubini. So they all had their appeals rejected, is what I, what I mean to say. Theirs were all rejected. Nedved, Villano and Garamberti, their appeals were successful and they have been cleared. So all in all, I think Juve will be quite happy. Paratici's irrelevant to them because he's gone. Arifbeni, I think he was leaving anyway. Cherubini and Agnelli were the ones that they were hopeful, I think, because obviously Agnelli is the owner and the was the former president, but their appeals were rejected. But getting the 15 points back is huge. And it does mean that they're guaranteed pretty much to be in the Champions League next season. If we take a look very briefly at the Serie A table, they are now back up into third. Three points ahead of Roma. Two behind Lazio. Six points clear of Milan. And eight points clear of Inter. So Juve look like they'll have the league route into the Champions League. And of course they could win this year's Europa League, which would also give them path to the Champions League. So a good day in total for uh, Juve. Just quickly on the Milan Inter thing. And apologies to whoever asked me this question on Twitter yesterday. I can't remember. Someone asked me on Twitter yesterday, what potential, what, what Champions League finalists haven't made the competition the next year. Because right now, one of Inter or Milan are going to be in the Champions League final this year because they're playing in the semi-final. And that's going to be a great occasion. Milan derbies, packed stadium, should be a great atmosphere. I wouldn't fancy either of them to win the competition outright because I think the two best teams by a distance are in the other semi-final. But it's a great achievement. But in all likelihood, if Inter get through to the final, Inter might not be in the Champions League next season unless they win that final. Milan potentially could still qualify via the league, but both of them are in really poor league form. Inter have four defeats in the last five and haven't won any of those games. Won any of those five games. Uh, Milan have only won one of five. So their league form has cratered. But in all like, but one of them will be in the Champions League final. The only two teams I could find from the Champions League era who had contested a final and not been in the competition next year. One was Marseille because they were banned because they got caught cheating domestically. And the other was Valencia. You remember they went to back-to-back finals? 
The second final was against Bayern Munich. They lost. They finished fifth in the league that year and weren't in the Champions League final the next year. I can't think of anybody else who made a Champions League final and wasn't in the competition the next year. We may well have that situation this year. Uh, Back to last night's games. Facing Juventus in the semi-final will be Sevilla. Manchester United were 2-0 up at home in the first leg with six minutes to go. And the game ends 2-2. They go to Sevilla last night. They go to Seville last night. Needing to win. Because they bottled the end of that first game. And it just turned into an absolute clown show. This was one of the worst defensive displays you'll see all season. This was every bit as bad as their performance at Anfield when they lost 7-0. It was every bit as bad as when Brentford walloped them at the start of the season. It may even have been worse. Eight minutes in, Harry Maguire demands the ball from De Gea despite having three players within pressing distance. De Gea plays the ball to him and Maguire telegraphs what he's going to do so badly that it gets charged down, he loses the ball on the edge of his own box and then Naziri scores and all of a sudden it's advantage Sevilla. Sevilla should have scored again. Uh, Ocampos had the ball in the back of the net but Acuna was ruled out. Now the offside to me was a little bit questionable. It looked like they took the line from his arm from his hand but it is what it is Loic Bade formerly on loan at Nottingham Forest on loan to Sevilla from Rennes scored on 47 minutes corner kick comes in he jumps for it misses the header it kind of hits him on the shoulder and loops in over De Gea and then En Naziri wraps it up on 81 minutes when De Gea comes out to deal with a simple ball outside his box, makes a mess of his first touch, and then Naziri slides it home from about 25, 30 yards out. United were just a shambles, and there was multiple other opportunities for Sevilla in this game. But United are entirely masters of their own demise, because if we look at the five goals they conceded here in this 5-2 aggregate defeat, the first one... Malashia switches off to a simple ball, allows Jesus Navas in behind him. Navas pulls the ball back into an area where there's nothing of danger for United. Malashia sticks his foot out, deflects it past De Gea. The second goal is a simple cross into the box. En Naziri is not heading towards goal. He's heading the ball down. It smacks Maguire in the face and sails into the top corner. And then the first and third goals here, sorry, yeah, first and third goals here last night. Both defensive calamities. Now, De Gea deserves most of the blame for those two goals, but Maguire overall was the bigger issue, because when he came on at Old Trafford, he just inspires panic. Absolute panic among his own teammates. And last night, he demands that ball. He points where he wants the ball. And De Gea just gives it to him. Absolutely shocking. United will go nowhere with Harry Maguire in the squad. Not in the team. In the squad. Because you're going to have to play him at some point because you'll get injuries. And this is the type of thing that will happen. Now, United badly, badly missed Bruno Fernandes last night. They looked a little bit lost without him. Uh, they did get one positive, and that was that Marcus Marcus Rashford uh, came off the bench. So they should at least have him back for this weekend. But I was hearing talk of a treble. At one point, I was hearing talk of a quadruple. Uh, the quadruple talk lasted until Liverpool put seven past them. And then I was hearing talk of a treble. That's now over. And now they're aiming for, obviously, the Cup double. But they get Brighton in the FA Cup semi-final at the weekend. And I 
quite fancy Brighton to beat them. We'll talk about that after the break. Um, Rio Ferdinand has said that if United finish third and win the League Cup, that'll be a better season than Arsenal finishing second and winning nothing. That just isn't the case. The League Cup doesn't move the needle like that. If they won the FA Cup, then I would say yes. If they finish third and get the Cup double, then yes, that's a better season than finishing second and ending up at nothing. I don't care that you led the league for three quarters of the season if you don't win the league because you don't get anything for second place. But the League Cup is not going to move me enough to say that United would have had a better season than Arsenal. Uh, Simply not the case, especially when we can kind of state with fact that the the most memorable thing from this season, from a Manchester United point of view, will be them getting thumped 7-0 at Anfield. That is the defining day of this season for Manchester United. Not winning the League Cup. So, if they win the FA Cup as well, yeah, then then I can see a claim for it. I would still say Arsenal are the better team, but United will have had a better season. They'll have won two Cups. But they're not getting it just on the League Cup. No way. So, Sevilla against Juventus. Roma against Leverkusen. So, as with... The Champions League, we have two Italian sides in the semi-finals. And a real prospect, I think, of an all-Italy final. Um, It's a bit of a a renaissance for Italian football. We have five semi-finalists total. The only Italian sides who have not reached the semi-final, who qualified for Europe this year are Napoli, who went out in the quarterfinals to another Italian side, and Lazio, who lost to Aza Alkmaar in the Europa Conference League. Which is a shame, because if they'd gotten through, with the way the draw broke, we could potentially have an all-Italian final in the Conference League as well. Um, moving into the Conference League, last night then, uh, Nice won, Basel 2, Basel go through 4-3, on aggregate, Laborde put put Nice one up on nine minutes. It looked like they were sailing through. John Kevin Augustine, former Leeds player of note, scored on 86 minutes to send the game to extra time. And Kasim Nuhu, Kasim Nuhu scored on 98 minutes to give Basel the win and send them through to the semi-final. They will take on Fiorentina. Fiorentina, I said yesterday, I didn't think there was any chance they could go out. They almost, almost bottled this last night. So they were 4-1 up from the first leg. Alfonso Sosa scored on nine minutes. Christopher Velde scored on 65 minutes. Arthur Sobiech scores on 69 minutes and all of a sudden it's 4-4 in aggregate. And Fiorentina have almost bottled an unassailable lead. But Ricardo Sotil scored and Gaetano Castrovilli scored to make it 3-2 to Poznan on the night and send Fiorentina through 6-4 in aggregate. So Fiorentina will take on Basel and in the other uh, semi-final, we will have Azel Alkmaar. I said that the 2-0 wasn't, wasn't the safest. It was wiped out within 13 minutes. Pavlidis scored from the penalty spot on 5 minutes, scored again on 27. Alkmaar absolutely battered Anderlecht all over the pitch last night. Couldn't find the third goal. It went to penalties, and Alkmaar won 4-1 on penalties, and that puts them through to take on West Ham. Um... Hugo Kuypers scored on 26 minutes. West Ham's defence was all over the place. And Ghent were ahead on the night and in the tie. And then they just crumbled. Antonio scores on 37 from a header from a good Jared Bowen free kick. 
Lucas Paqueta scores a penalty on 55 minutes for what I think is a very questionable handball. It hits his body and then hits his arm. I was under the impression that that was that the rule was if it hits the body and then the arm, it's not a handball. He was slipping as well. He had his arm out to brace himself. I, for me, it's not a penalty, but it was given, and Lucas Paqueta stepped up and scored. On 58 minutes, Declan Rice won the ball back about 10 yards outside his own penalty area and just proceeded to run. And no Leon, uh, no Leon, no Ghent player decided to make a tackle on him. One tried to stand him up. Akumu, who'd given away the penalty for the sec- for the Paqueta goal, he tried to stand him up. It took one drop of the shoulder and he basically fell over. And Rice finished left-footed. A good goal, but the defensive work was hilarious. Not as bad as it was for Mikel Antonio's second and West Ham's fourth uh, five minutes later, where he kind of seemed unsure of what he was going to do with the ball, but just kept moving with the ball into the Ghent box while they all backed up, backed off him. So he just put it in the top corner and, and that was all she wrote. Uh, West Ham through. They'll play Alkmaar. My expectation is a West Ham versus Alkmaar final. Sorry, a West Ham versus Fiorentina final. I think Fiorentina are the team to beat in this competition. Uh, before last night, they'd won nine games in a row in this competition. They're on a really good run domestically both in the league and in the Cup. They're 2-0 up in the semi-final of the Cup Italia. Now, if you look at the, the league table, it won't tell you the story of how good their form has been. They're currently sitting in ninth, but it is in large part because they had such a bad start. But Fiorentina, I think it's over the last eight or nine games, are unbeaten in the league. Uh, the, the, the matches. They're unbeaten since mid-February. They drew with Empoli. They won five in a row, including wins over Milan and Inter. Uh, they've drawn their last two. So it's eight games without defeat. But they had they had a really bad start with only won two of their first eleven. Then they had a bad chunk in the middle of the season where they went winless in six and only won one of nine. But they have really turned things around and they're playing some really good football. And like I say, they're on a good run in the league. They're doing really well in the Italian Cup and nine wins in a row in this competition before last night. And last night they didn't need to win. So I I think they almost overlooked the game. And when they realized what was happening, they snapped back to it and they did dominate the game for the last couple of the last twenty minutes or so, um, but yeah, I'd expect them to beat Basel. I expect West Ham to beat Alkmaar. Though Alkmaar will be tough, uh, and I expect Fiorentina West Ham in the final. And I would back Fiorentina. I think Roma beat Leverkusen. I think Juve beat Sevilla, and I think Roma beat Juve in the final. Champions League, I'm going with Real. Until Real are out, they're the pick. Because they're zombies and they just won't die. They cannot be killed, no matter what you do. So I'm going to pick Real. I was talking to someone about this last night. and My head says Inter, because Inzaghi's a good cup manager. And he's got a good record against Pioli. But my heart wants Milan because Real Madrid versus AC Milan is arguably the most prestigious game we could have in this competition. I mean, people talk about football heritage, European royalty. These are these are European royalty. These are two of the great clubs. And it's been too long since we saw AC Milan in a European Cup final. 
So, my hope is that that's the final we get. These are the two teams that have won the most. Real, obviously, with 14. uh, Milan with 7. It is an incredible achievement for Real that you can add up any two other teams and they have more by themselves. Milan haven't been in the final since 2007. Which is an amazing achievement. Uh, These sides have met in the final once before. Which was in 1958. If we look back on the 50s and 60s, these were arguably the two sort of dominant teams in Europe. The 70s, neither of them were particularly good. Milan re-emerged in the late 80s and the beginning of the 90s. Then Real re-emerged in the late 90s. They somehow managed to avoid each other in finals in the early 2000s and in the 60s as well, where Real made the final in 60, 62, 64 and 66. And Milan won it in 63 and were in the final in 69. And won it in 69 as well. Um, Yeah, then through the 2000s, obviously Milan won a couple. Into the 2010s, it's been all... It's been all Real. This is this is the tie. This is what people should want. I think. Now, not telling anybody what not telling anybody what they should think. But does anyone really want to see Man City win it and be validated for how they've behaved? Inter have obviously a great European pedigree as well. Five times finalists, three times winners. Um, they beat AC Milan, sorry, they beat Real Madrid in the 1964 final. That's the only time those two teams have played each other in a European Cup final. So Real versus Inter would also be great. But for me, Real versus Milan, that's, that's the one I want to see. I would expect Real to win the game fairly comfortably. But in terms of, the prestige and the build-up and the legends we might see get rolled out, that would be that would be the game. Um, I mean, City stick out like a sore thumb in this company. One final and they lost it. Congratulations, you've got the same European track, rec- track record as Partizan Belgrade, Panikonithos, St. Etienne, Club Bruges, Malmo, Bayer Leverkusen, Sampdoria, Monaco, uh, that's a worse Champions League heritage than Reims, who've been to the final twice. Do you know? Even if you win it, you're not exactly joining the great clubs. You're going in with Borussia Dortmund, Marseille, Steaua Bucharest, Hamburg and Celtic. You're not going in with the Reals and... Milan's and Bayern's and Liverpool's of the world. That's that's going to take many, many more billions of oil money. Um, I've gone on a tangent here. Right, that's where the European competitions land. It's great for Italian football to have five teams in this. Five of the twelve teams left in European competition are Italian. That's very, very impressive. Moving on, we've covered Paratici, we've covered Juventus. We might as well just do the gossip, go to the break and come back and look at this weekend's games. Uh, Former Paris Saint-Germain and Tottenham boss Maurizio Pochettino has held talks with Chelsea. Chelsea are planning a player clear-out before the 30th of June in order to stay within financial fair play rules. That means they have to sell players within England. Because any deal abroad can't be registered until the 1st of July. Therefore taking it out of this year's accounts. David De Gea is on the verge of agreeing a new contract at Manchester United. I do wonder if they might like to reassess that contract offer after last night. Um, 
United are leading the race to sign Rasmus Hojlund. I, I, I doubt that to be true, to be honest. Barcelona are finalising an offer to present to Paris Saint-Germain for the return of Lionel Messi. Uh, the president of La Liga says, no, they're not, because they can't afford to. Aston Villa have renewed their interest in Emil Smith-Rowe. He is so, so talented. He's He's been the forgotten man this season. And it does look like... T- it does look to me like he's getting sort of forced out at Arsenal because they're playing this 4-3-3. The only real role in that that suits him is the left-sided role in the attack. And they've got Martinelli and there's a lot of talk about them bringing in another winger. They tried to bring in Mudrik in January. Then they did bring in uh, Trossard. There's talk that they're looking to bring in someone else in this summer window. He doesn't work as well on the right-hand side. He's not as comfortable there. And there's also talk of them wanting someone to play on the right. Through the middle, obviously, they've got Jesus. They've got um, Enketia. They've got Balogun to come back if they want. They've got Trossard who's played there for them. You know, he could play in the number 10 position, the the 8-10 where Odegaard plays, but they've got Fabio Vieira as the back up there. He doesn't suit the other role where Granit Xhaka plays because there's more defensive work associated with that role. So he, he does kind of seem like he's odd man out. And if that's the case, I think there'll be a lot of interest. He is a cracking player. Uh, Aston Villa have renewed their interest. No, sorry. <laughs> uh, Aston Villa are plotting a move for Pau Torres, but Villarreal want to offer him a new contract. My guess is he'll leave. Manchester City are keen on signing Mateo Kovacic this summer, despite also wanting to stay in the race for Jude Bellingham. I have a feeling Jude might stay where he is. I could be completely wrong. I could be completely wrong, but I have a feeling he might stay where he is for another year. Manchester City's top players will earn more than two million in bonuses if their club wins the treble this year. I'd imagine it's significantly more than that if they win the Champions League. There there were rumours. Now, again, there are rumours. When De Bruyne signed his contract that he has a 10 million bonus for winning the Champions League. And if he has won, I'd imagine others have. Maybe not to that level, but I'd imagine there's a couple of fives, sixes, sevens, etc. in there. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain are likely to sign either Kefren Turam or Seiko Fafana as an alternative to Jude Bellingham. Crystal Palace, Wolves, Burnley and Sheffield United are all interested in signing Matt Doherty this summer after his unsuccessful spell at uh, Athletic Madrid. Unsuccessful is a nice way to put it. Newcastle are ready to cash in on 26-year-old French winger Alan St. Maximum to raise funds for the summer. Raise funds indeed. Uh, Newcastle's majority owners are in talks to purchase Belgian club KV Ostend. As a partner club. That's interesting. It was Strasbourg last week. Now it's them. No, Todd Bowley wants Strasbourg. Never mind. Um, Manchester City, Newcastle, Wolves, Arsenal and West Ham are all keeping tabs on Nazar Mizrawi. He's obviously had a, a tough enough time at, at Bayern. He hasn't been able to establish himself there. So he's he's looking for a way out. Chris Smalling is in the final stage of negotiations with Roma to extend his contract until 2025. I do think that's the right decision for him. I think he's very comfortable there. The system suits him. And it saves them having to go and find a a replacement. Could they do better? Yeah, it's Chris Smalling. Of course they could do better. But he's, he's good enough. So, yeah, if you're enjoying your life there, and I'd imagine you are, I'd imagine living in... Rome is a nice change from gloomy Manchester. Manchester's a nice place, but the weather sucks. And, you know, Rome's a bit more a bit more like London, where you were before. Uh, we'll leave it at that. We'll go to break. No guy today, so I'm on my own with this uh, preview stuff. So it could be a, a train wreck. Uh, for those that don't know, the reason Guy does the with me is because the very first time I tried to do it by myself, it was so terrible 
that I had to scrap it and ask him to re-record with me. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. See you in a sec. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25, for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Right, welcome back. So, we have eight games in the Premier League this weekend. Chelsea versus Manchester United at Old Trafford is postponed. And Brighton versus Manchester City is postponed. Obviously, United will take on Brighton in one FA Cup semi-final and Man City will take on Sheffield United in the other. Uh, The Sheffield United City game is Saturday. The other one is Sunday. I staunchly disagree with them games being played at Wembley. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make geographical sense. Like... City and Sheffield United are in the north. That game should be getting played in the north. The closest decent-sized stadium to a midpoint between Manchester and Sheffield is probably Leeds. Now, Elland Road is in need of you know, quite a bit of um, regeneration and refurbishment, but there's still a decent capacity there, more than enough to cover that game. Uh, City fans, I think, have a bit of fatigue about semi-finals and that anyway for the domestic cups. So I don't imagine that they'll they haven't sold out anywhere close to their allotment for the Wembley game. Sheffield United will sell out theirs, but I, again, I still think Elland Road would have been more than sufficient. Brighton, Man United, it's a, it's a lot closer to Brighton than United. Um, Villa Park I think would have been the fairest place now it's a little bit closer to Manchester obviously than to Brighton but unless you were going to play it in the Principality in Cardiff I think Villa Park is the one that makes sense Villa Park has history of holding FA Cup semi-finals did for a long time hold FA Cup semi-finals I think Villa Park would have been the the ideal place for this. Now I've seen some people say that St. James's park 
would have been great for the Manchester City Sheffield United game. And yeah, I mean, fair enough. It's probably about the same distance from both, but it's a long old trip, even just from Manchester up to Newcastle. Whereas Leeds, I think Leeds is only like an hour. Manchester to Leeds. Manchester to Leeds is an hour and 21 minutes. Sheffield to Leeds is an hour and five minutes. Surely that would have been the fairest place to put it. Others suggested maybe Anfield, but it's a lot closer to Manchester. Sheffield when Sheffield United would have to go basically through Manchester or across Manchester. So I think Leeds would have fit that one. And I absolutely think the other one should have been in Villa Park. Manchester to Birmingham. It is closer for them, obviously. But like I said, unless you're going to Cardiff. So it's two hours 18 from Manchester to Birmingham. And from Brighton to Birmingham, I think it's about three and a half. It's nearly four hours. It's a long trip. But again, I just think it's the fairest spot. Rather than have Manchester United fans having to travel all the way to London, um, I think that would have been fairer. Cardiff is, is, geographically, Cardiff is the one that's kind of halfway. It's four hours and 20 minutes from Manchester to Cardiff. It's four hours, 26 minutes from Brighton to Cardiff. But are they going to, would they sell out the principality? Probably not. And Villa Park would work because it's not being used this weekend. Brentford host Aston Villa. Ellen Road is not being used because Leeds are also in London. They're playing uh, Fulham. So those two stadiums, to me, just made sense. But it hasn't happened. In terms of those games, we'll start with those. Um, No idea what Sheffield United's injury situation is, but they do have Doyle and McAtee, who are both owned by Man City and probably not going to be allowed to play. Uh, City's only injury is Nathan Aki. Um, They're hopeful that he's not going to be out for too long. He's been so good for them this season that hopefully it is just a a short-term thing. It's it's been a season for him where he's been able to stay injury-free and he had the one knock get hurt back against Newcastle. But other than that, he's generally been okay. And that's a rarity for him. And he's been able to progress and show what he's capable of. And it's been very impressive. Uh, Heading into the other semi-final, no, hang on, wait. I didn't pick a prediction, did I? <laughs> this is why I need Guy. City will win. Like, <sighs> Sheffield United have done incredibly well to get here, but City will win. And I think City can probably rest a few players and prepare themselves for what's coming. Because off the back of this game, City are going to have a pretty hellacious run. They play Arsenal in the league on Wednesday at the Etihad. Title somewhat on the line, I think it's fair to say. Then it's Fulham, West Ham, Leeds. All must-win games for City to, to get their league title. Then they've got a semi-final away to Real. Then they play Everton at home. Then the semi-final at home to Real. Then Chelsea, then Brentford. Now, they do have at least some decent enough days off. But things get fairly tight. They play on the 30th of April, the 3rd of May. Sorry, 26th of April, 30th of April, 3rd of May, 7th of May, 9th of May, 14th of May, 17th of May, 21st of May, 28th of May. That's pretty unforgiving. And then the European Cup final, if they get there, would be a week after that Brentford game. That is pretty unforgiving. And they've got to fit that Brighton game in there somewhere. Now, God knows where. Because there isn't actually a gap. So I have no idea. It would have to be between the Chelsea game 
and the Brentford game. That's the only week-long gap that they've got. So we'll have to go in there. And then they get a week before the European Cup final. But So I think City could rest some players for this game against Sheffield United. And I still think they'll win. I'll go 3-0 to City. In the other one, which I think is the more interesting one, uh, Manchester United have a lot of injuries. No Martinez, no Van de Beek, no Varane. McTominay is a doubt. Heaton's out. Jones is out. Garnacho's out. And obviously Mason Greenwood is out. Um, Rashford's back. How fit he is remains to be seen. He didn't look fit when he came on last night, but could just be rust. Um, Brighton, no Lalana, No Evan Ferguson, which is a huge blow. No Joel Veltman, which is a huge blow. But Levi Colwell is back. Jason Steele should be back. Sarmiento, I think, is probably done for the season. Wepu obviously retired. And Tariq Lamptey, who knows? When he gets injured, he tends to miss long spells of games. Now, if Pascal Gross has to play right back for the entire 90, that could be problematic, especially if Rashford's out there on the left wing. That's the one area I do worry about. He played brilliantly there against Chelsea, but that's Chelsea. Now, Rashford had fallen off. His form had dissipated before the injury. So it's not necessarily a thing that he's going to be scorching hot the way he was a month ago. But he's still a very dangerous player. Um, I think the big pitch suits Brighton. And I think they'll be able to control the middle of the pitch with McAllister and Caicedo in there. I think Matoma and Estupinen down the Brighton left will be very problematic for United because Anthony does not track runners, which is going to leave either Delow or Wan-Bissaka 2v1 quite a lot. Solly March won't hold that right wing. He will drift in field and pick up pockets of space, which means either Luke Shaw has to track him or March is going to have a free roll to roam and do what he wants to do. And that's, again, going to be problematic. Now, not having Ferguson takes away a big goal threat, but Danny Welbeck has had a decent season, and I think Danny Welbeck would probably quite like if he could stick two fingers up to United and to a lot of United fans that disparaged him while he was there and after he left. Uh, I disparage him, but I'm allowed because I'm not a United fan, an Arsenal fan, or a Brighton fan, and I just don't think he's very good. But... He suits what Brighton wants. He is the the kind of prototype of what Brighton want up front. And he has had a decent season, to his credit. Um, You'd very much like if he scored a few more goals. That's It's always been the knock on Welbeck. Like, Welbeck, to me, reminds me of, of Emil Heskey. Not physically, but... He does all the dog work. His hold-up play is generally pretty good. He links the play well. He's an intelligent player. He's just not good in front of goal. And if we look at his career, uh, 29 goals in 142 games for United, 32 goals in 126 games for Arsenal, 6 in 28 for Sunderland while on loan there, which is pretty impressive uh, by by that the standard he was at at that age. He was, that was 2010-11. Um, he had a poor season at Watford when he went there, 3-20. and 20. He is 17 in, in 79 for Brighton. He's got 89 goals in 400, 403 career games. Uh, surprisingly, he had a much better record for England, where he scored 16 and 42. He had two... Three really good years um, in terms of goals per game. 2012 to 2014, he played 29 games and scored 14 goals. So almost one and two. But then for the career, at club level, he's been slightly better than one and five. What... I, I've always believed that what happened to Danny Welbeck was he came through as a number nine. Ferguson stuck him playing wide left because he wanted the work rate and he wanted an out ball there. 
And Welbeck never figured out either position. He never figured out how to be a number nine, how to be a, a goal scorer. And he doesn't have the technical ability to really be a winger. So he kind of got stuck in between as a tweener. Emil Heskey, the exact same thing happened to him. He was at Liverpool with Fowler and Owen. So oftentimes he got stuck playing left wing. And he would play up front with Owen and he would do a great job. And then he'd get put back out in the left wing and he would look a little bit lost. And then when he finally got a long run through the middle for Liverpool, he couldn't score goals. He'd scored in the early days, he couldn't score after that because he'd sort of gotten too many habits from playing out wide. And some of them are habits you'd admire, like being selfless. But at the same time, that's not what you want from your striker. Divock Origi is another prime example of this. The same thing happened to him. He got stuck playing left wing early in his career and it just, it did damage to his development. Um, Yeah, so Welbeck for me is in that kind of category. But this season he does have 5 and 28, which isn't great, but his all-round play has been better. And the hope will be that he can conjure a goal. Uh, He has has yet to score in this season's competition. Uh, But my hope is that Brighton will find their way through because I'd love to see them in a cup final because I think it'd be incredible. So I'm going to go with Brighton to win. I'll say 2-1. I think the Zerbi's football will translate really well onto that big pitch. Uh, Moving on then to the Premier League. We have, as I said, eight games. So first up tonight, we have Arsenal versus Southampton. Arsenal are top, Southampton are bottom. This should be fairly straightforward. For Arsenal, you would imagine. Uh, Injury-wise, no Tomiyasu. Zinchenko's a doubt. Elneny's out. And Saliba looks like he's going to be out for an, another couple of weeks. Uh, as of, as for Saints, Che Adams is a doubt. Maitland-Niles is unable to play because obviously he's owned by Arsenal. Uh, Salisu has an injury. Livermento is working his way back. He has made his return for the B team. Maybe next month we see him playing for the first team. And Juan Larios is out, probably done for the season. It's very difficult to see beyond an Arsenal win. Uh, They've won three of five. They've obviously been on a great run uh, prior to that. But of their last five, they've won three. But they have have drawn their last two. And they've lost two goal leads in both. But Southampton have taken one point from the last five games. Uh, this is at the Emirates. It's under the lights. I'm expecting a big atmosphere. Arsenal need a lift from their fans. I expect that they'll get it. I'm going to say 3-0 to Arsenal and quite a comfortable win. Uh, moving in then to tomorrow, the early kickoff has Fulham against Leeds at Craven Cottage. Fulham are 10th. Leeds are 16th. Fulham have one win in their last five. They had lost four in a row before beating Everton, which just emphasises how bad that result was for Everton. Fulham are safe on the beach, nothing to play for, Mitrovic suspended. So I do give Leeds a little bit of a chance here. Now Leeds have won two of the last five, but they have been absolutely tonked in their last two games. Palace tonked them and then Liverpool went and did the same. Uh, Going into this game, Leeds have no Stuart Dallas, no Tyler Adams. They've really got to hope he's back. They've really got to hope he's back before the end of the season because they miss him desperately. The big hope is that Bamford will be fit. He's back in training. So with a bit of luck, even if he makes the bench, he can make a difference off the bench because they're they're lacking a front man. Rodrigo's got some goals this season. Many of them came in the very early days of the season. He's been rotten for quite a while now. Um, For Fulham, no Cabano, no Mitrovic. Dan James can't play because Leeds own him. And no Kurzawa, who's potentially done for the season. I think Leeds can get something from this game. I do. I think Leeds can get something from this game. They played in the FA Cup back in February. And the game ended 2-0 to Fulham. But Fulham, they have nothing to play for. They really don't have anything to play for here. Now, Fulham did beat Leeds in the league game this season as well. uh, 3-2 up at Elland Road. But they had Mitrovic in that game. And they were in good form at the time. They're not in good form at the moment. And they don't have their best player. So, 
I'm going to go for a one-all draw. I'll go one-all. Uh, Crystal Palace versus Everton. Palace come into this game in good form. They've won three in a row. Everton haven't won in their last four, only one win in five. Two defeats in the last two games. Really disappointing performance last week against Fulham. Palace hammered leads in between wins over Leicester and Southampton. So they've gotten themselves to a place where one more win probably guarantees safety. We'll get them to 39 points. And I think they get it this weekend. Uh, Injury-wise, no Zaha, no Gaeta, no Klein, no Ferguson. Everton, no Townsend, no Coleman, no Dukure. Calvert-Lewin's back, though, so that's a big help for them. Onana is a doubt. Vinegar is out, and uh, I, I just don't see where the goals are coming from for Everton. They can't keep a clean sheet at the moment. And Palace look really good. And Eze and Olise have just clicked so well in, in recent weeks. And that creative tandem has opened defences up. Now, admittedly, they've opened up three of the worst defences in the league. Potentially, the three worst defences... Th- sorry. With respect to Nottingham Forest. They've opened up three of the four worst defences in the league. But they've still managed to do that. And, and Everton's defence hasn't been great. Um, Fulham made them look really, really poor. United was a, such a breeze for United to play against that Everton team. I'm going to go for the Palace win. I'll go 2-0. I just think they're the better team with better players. Uh, Liverpool versus Forest is up next. This is a 3pm kickoff, as is uh, Palace versus For- Palace versus Everton. Forest have all the injuries, 10 of them. Bianconi out, Wood out, Bolly out, Aurier out, Yates out. Uh, Scarpa a doubt, unlikely we see him this week. Callback should be back. Coyate out, Richards out, and Dean Henderson out. I mean, they've just been plagued by injuries. This is the best Liverpool's injury report has looked all season. No Calvin Ramsey, no Bessetic, no Naby Keita, no Bobby Firmino. Um, Bobby Firmino has a muscle injury. We might not see him again in the Liverpool shirt, which would be a shame. Hopefully he's back soon enough. I don't want to spend too much time on this game. I've talked about it on AI Scouted and a little bit on the Daily Red. I expect Liverpool to win. I'm going to go for a 4-1. And they should win. Nottingham Forest are not in good form at the moment. They've really been struggling defensively. Liverpool looked good against Leeds, though that has been uh, the marker of bad things to come for Liverpool this season is when they have a really big win. But I'm going to go 4-1 in this one. Uh, moving on then, Brentford versus Aston Villa. Brentford have nothing to play for, really. And you can see that in recent results. They've lost three in a row. Having been so hard to beat all season, that's a really poor run for them. But they're going to survive comfortably this season, which was the only thing they had set out to do was you know, continue to establish themselves in the division. I think they've got a lot to look forward to with some of the young players I highlighted yesterday that haven't made a big impact this year and I think will next year. Uh, for this game, no Pontus Janssen. Looks like he's going to be out for the rest of the season. And he did announce the other day that he's leaving at the end of the season. I, I don't think it's a big loss in terms of what he brings on the field. But I think off the field, he's been very important to them. I do hope we get to see, you know, even a two-minute cameo in his, in the last game of the year. Just because he's been he's been a good player in his time in England. I, I do think that the Premier League was a step too far for him. But he was really good in the Championship for a number of years. And he deserves a, a decent farewell. Uh, Keen Lewis Potter is out for another couple of weeks. And Christoph Ayer has been out for another couple of weeks. He has been so injury-prone that they probably need to consider replacing him in the summer and just having him as a squad option. Um, Villa are, are chasing Europe, and they're in great form. No Matty Cash, no Bailey, no Coutinho, no Jed Steer. They are hopeful that Bubakar Kamara is back, but it'll probably be next week before he's ready to start. I'm going to back Villa for the win. They've been good on the road uh, under Unai Emery, so I'll go with a... 
2-1 Villa win. Ollie Watkins going back to the club where he made his name as well, so he'll want to impress. Um, somewhat of a Midlands derby then. It's Leicester versus Wolves in the last of the 3 p.m. kickoffs. Wolves have managed to claw their way up to 13th with back-to-back wins. Leicester look atrocious. They've lost four games in a row. Defensively, they're a mess. The goals have dried up a little bit. That was the one thing that was keeping them afloat. I think sacking Rodgers was the right decision. I just think they waited far too long. Uh, Going into this game, no doubt they'll have a bunch of injuries because they always do. No James Justin, no Ricardo Pereira. Harvey Barnes is a doubt. Johnny Evans is a major doubt. Yannick Vestergaard is out, no loss there. And Ryan Bertrand, who just never plays, um, is not going to play. Wolves, no Sasakalazic, no Chiquinho. Ruben Neves is back. Bubakar Traore, they hope, will be back. Diego Costa should be okay. And Johnny Otto, I think, is suspended. Um, he should be back this weekend, shouldn't he? he got two, didn't he get two yellows? He should be back. He should be back. Um, they've won both games without Neves. So you'd wonder if maybe they leave him on the bench for this one. They have played more of a 4-4-2 in the last couple of games, so they could bring Neves back in it and it'd be quite comfortable. So um, He's obviously their best player, or certainly the most talented player at the club, but we'll wait and see what happens. Um, Leicester are at home. Leicester are desperate for the win. I just don't see them winning the game. I'm going to go for a draw. I think Lopetegui goes there and grinds out a 1-1 draw. Uh, if you can hear Molly going bananas in the background, I do apologise. There is a, a gentleman checking an ESB pole at the top of the road, and that is just too close to the house for Molly, even though he's a, he's a good 60 yards from where our house is, but he, she just has, has taken great umbrage to what's going on. Um, moving on then to Sunday's games, Newcastle-Tottenham is the game of the weekend in the Premier League. Fourth against fifth. Toon have been really good of late, but got walloped last weekend by Villa. 3-0 flattered Newcastle. Spurs have been a mess. They were fourth. They sacked Conte. They haven't looked good since. They threw away points against Everton. They threw away points last week against Bournemouth. They somehow beat Brighton in the middle of that, which was just very, very strange. Son has found a bit of form, but... As he's found form, Kane has started to look really tired. So that's a little bit of a concern for Spurs. Uh, Spurs have no Emerson, no Lucas Moura, no Sessegnon. Ben Davies could be back. Uh, No Basuma as yet. Bentoncourt is out for the season. And no Clement Langley. Newcastle, uh, no Emil Kraft. Though he is back in training. Now he's got a couple of months before he'll be back in full training, but... He's at least back on the grass, which is great after torn ACL. Uh, he won't play this season, but he should be okay for next year if he's still at the club. Uh, St. Maximum, probably another week out. And Ryan Fraser is no longer part of the first team picture at Newcastle. At home, I'm going to back Newcastle. They've only lost there once all season. They've made St. James as a bit of a fortress. They've made themselves very hard to beat in general. Uh, only the four defeats this season. Only Arsenal have less defeats. Only Liverpool have beaten them up there. And that was a freak game. Newcastle should have won that game. Even when they went down to 10 men, they were still the better team. I am going to back Newcastle to win this one. I'll go 2-1. And then our final game of the weekend in the Premier League sees Bournemouth taking on West Ham. Why this game isn't a 3pm? It's not a 3pm because West Ham played on Thursday. That's why. Uh, Bournemouth against West Ham. Bournemouth are in much better form domestically. Uh, They've won three of five. They've looked pretty impressive. West Ham have won two of five and they have begun to turn things around. And obviously they got the confidence boosting win last night. They got a draw with Arsenal at the weekend. Uh, Yeah, the weekend. But I think they're going to lose this weekend. I think they're going to go to Bournemouth and lose. I think the the adrenaline dump from last night will wear off, and I think they'll have heavy legs going to Bournemouth at the weekend. No Skimaka, 
Um, Ogbonna, they're hopeful is back, but he wouldn't be starting anyway unless there's an injury. Uh, for Bournemouth, Hamid Traore could be back. If not, he'll definitely be back next week. Uh, Matthias Vigne, they're hopeful he'll be back. Ryan Fredericks is out. Junior Stanislas is out. I'm going to back Bournemouth to win this game 2 1. They've just looked more like a real team in recent weeks. And that's such a big positive because they just look like a collection of lads thrown together for quite a long time there. They had the horrible start, then they they did really well under Gary O'Neill for a run, and then it was just abysmal for months. But they have turned it around. And a win here would be three wins in a row, which would be huge for them. Would be huge for them and would put them in such a strong position to survive which again would be an incredible achievement. Now they've got some favourable games coming up as well. They've got Southampton and Leeds. They've also got Everton on the final day of the season. They're all winnable games. So I think they're in a strong position to beat West Ham at the weekend. So the games go Arsenal tonight, Arsenal-Southampton. Early kickoff tomorrow, Fulham-Leeds. 3pm kickoffs, Palace-Everton, Liverpool-Forest. Brentford Villa, Leicester Wolves. Then in the FA Cup, we have City versus United at quarter to five. Sorry, City versus Sheffield United at quarter to five. Then Sunday, there's two 2 p.m. kickoffs. Toon against Spurs, Bournemouth against West Ham. And then in a 4.30 kickoff, it's Brighton against Manchester United. So that's what we have this weekend. Uh, Enjoy it. I think there's a couple of good games there. There's a couple that are maybe less than appealing, but there are definitely a couple of good games there worth your time. Right, folks, thank you, as always, for listening. I hope that wasn't too bad. It didn't seem too bad, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm making do as I can because I don't have Guy. He is off getting extremely sunburnt in Mexico. So, uh, yeah, send him, send him your thoughts and prayers, and if you have any Factor 50, <laughs> send that as well. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy the weekend. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.